Hello and welcome to the podcast The Lotus Eaters for Wednesday. I'm joined by Harry. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about the Philip Schofield drama, feminism and its consequences, and why is trust going down? Who knows? What could possibly be happening? That's Tom Harwood. Something happened. <sighs> yeah, I, I hate the door, but it's, it's just I, I, I'm angry. <laughs> Wait, I'm jo- I was joking. Is Tom Harwood involved no, in this? No, no, he's okay. not involved in this Oh, one, thank okay. God. But a quick announcement, which is that um, hello, gold tears. Hello, tidy ho. What? I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway, but the point is, your uh, video comments, um, it's broken. The, the system's broken. I don't know what's broken. It's being fixed, hopefully. But until then, if you want to send them video comments, you've got to send them uh, as an email. Attach the video to the email. Put your username in the email. And the email you send it to is video.editor at lotuseaters.com. That's the, that's the fix until, I don't know. Um, until it's fixed. The, the, the email gods fix everything. How does the internet work? I don't know. Yeah, me neither. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> don't ask me. Let's move into I the didn't Phillips. pay any attention in IT class. Let's go to the Philip Schofield drama. So Philip Schofield, for people who don't know, foreigners, is a British television presenter. He used to work for BBC or children's shows before moving on to ITV. And um, obviously there's been quite a bit of BBC presenters, especially the older ones, who have all been caught being pedophiles. It's one of the things that they're known for. Yeah, it's, it's become um, the norm. It's why people don't like the BBC now, because every time you talk to them, well, you're just like... It's, it's one of the reasons people don't like the BBC. The main one, I think. I mean, remember that time you guys it's have there. loads of pedos working for you, and uh, you covered it up? And they're like, yes. I'm like, maybe you should quit your job. That's then. right now. Yeah, there's Probably. also allegations. Allegedly. To this day, obviously. And Philip Schofield is now under a magnifying glass of a lot of people suspecting he is a pedophile. The reason for this being that he was in a married relationship with two children, and then... And the, the relationship was with a woman. They didn't just find yep. these children. And then he came out as, uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I am a gay man. Uh, he, don't ask me about who my boyfriend is. Rather suspiciously, he pulled a Kevin Spacey out of nowhere, unprompted. And um, the person he was apparently having an affair with, he says, is an unusual but not illegal relationship. Because the age gap is quite vast, but he alleges that, well, whenever the relationship started, he was of the legal age. Now, the legal age in the UK is 16. Uh, does still weird. It, it, uh, still really weird. But a lot of people are sus. And so I've been seeing this story explode. It's the like biggest story in the UK right now because he is a huge television presenter in terms of people know about him. I mean, and- I've, I've just got to say as well, I mentioned this right before we came live on air, but um, I, the most shocking thing for me when he did come out was learning that he was married to a woman and had two children because I already thought he was gay because yeah. there is no... He's one of those guys you just look at, and even as a man with a terrible gaydar, I just clocked it immediately, like, gay. I mean, it, he, he does almost fit the stereotype perfectly with his voice alone. I mean, the, the high-pitched, constantly interested in fashion, etc. You know, the, the meme version is very similar to that. But we'll start out just by promoting something on LotusEars.com before we get into the details, which is why feminist immigration will save the West, because if you want some, uh, I don't know, some more reasonable things, then whatever Philip's proposing, uh, we'll go into this and you can find out why we saved I the West. I didn't know that Philip Schofield had a plan to save the West. Um, no, I don't think he does. Well, he did have at one point. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. So we'll start <laughs> off with the information. So pictured here, Philip and wife and house they live in. Of course, Philip done quite well for himself, made a lot of money, being a television presenter, mm-hmm. quite, quite well known, did a book deal, some other stuff. He can afford a beard. A beard? Do you not know what that means? No. In the old Hollywood days, gay men getting married to women, the women with their beards. All right. Anyway. That's what they were called. 
So there we are. They're pictured for people who don't know him for some reason and his wife. And um, then if we go to the next one, we can also see him at work, as he is, with Holly Willoughby and the ITV runner, uh, Matthew McGreevy. I'm just going to call Matthew or Matt from now on because that last name is a bit hard for me because I'm too ignorant. <laughs> anyway, but <laughs> you can see here, a um, bit weird that you would take a picture with the runner. Uh, presumably they did it with everyone in the cast. No, just this one. Um, really? There's no other pictures of them with any of the other members of the production no, team? Apparently they had quite a bit of a um, weird relationship with the rest of the production team, according to Edmund Holmes. We'll get to that in a bit. Now, online, it says the date of birth of Matthew over here is the 21st of March, 1996. And if we go to his... He's actually slightly older than I am. If we go to this account here, this is just like, you know, here's my account for I can give me app thing job, please. These are my details. A lot of people have posted this. And I think you can see, it says age range 19 to 21. And that's actually the age range he's saying he's going to play, not the age range he is. And for people get confused by that. Because he's um, older. An actor. Yeah. It also wouldn't make sense for him to be 19 to 21 because he graduated sixth form in 2014. So, so did I. Just, just to put things to bed, he's he's 26 or 27. This could have been me. Somewhere about that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know you had those desires, but okay. No, I, I don't. <laughs> now, that's the, that's the bit of the suspect, because uh, Philip over there, I think he's now in like, he's like 61 or something. Ridiculous. I, I don't know. So, so when, when the age was gap it? between them being vast, and, well, no, it's now alleged that they had a relationship, or at least it's been confirmed. It's not so, like... Massive age gaps when it comes to famous people aren't unusual. I believe I just heard this mm -hmm. morning that Al Pacino, who is 82, is having a new child with his 29-year-old wife. So this is... Presumably about money. Ve yeah, very, <laughs> very strange. I was uh, uh, Somebody said, imagine sleeping with an 82-year-old man. And I said, no, the real question is, imagine sleeping with a rich 82-year-old man. Not unusual, but still disgusting. I don't think anyone yeah, has ever gross. looked at those relationships and thought, ooh, that's good. Oh, it must be all about the personality. Yeah. Bezos. Anyway, but we'll go to the details, because the long-running rumours about this have finally come out. So I thought I'd pat together everything I could find that I think is relevant and just present it. So, in chronological order, we shall, until we're not. This is the first note of contact I could find between them that's online, which is allegedly from Matthew's first Twitter account. He then deleted this one when he turned 18 and made a new one, but this is his first one. That's kind of sus by itself. In which, at this point, he is 15 years old and five days, and he tweets out, responding to Schofield, Hey Phil, thanks for following me. How are you? Question mark. This was unprompted, Philip following this 15-year-old on Twitter. Now, this is the main piece of evidence I can find for, huh, question mark, about when these people met or when the relationship started. But it doesn't really prove anything. It just proves that he followed a 15-year-old on Twitter, which, bit weird. If, so, so if I did that tomorrow I to a girl... I just want to confirm, now that, he's, now that Schofield has come out... He, he's in a relationship and it's with this person. He had a relationship. He had a with relationship that, yeah. with this person that's been yeah. and gone. I believe that's what is uh, public. All right. Someone correct me if it's incorrect. But we'll get to the next one because where did these two people meet? Well, it seems that they met at the Toothpaste Theatre Company, which is a theatre which Philip is a patron of and goes to and gives them money so they can do theatre stuff. Now, Matthew joins the theatre when he was about 10, which is um, not unusual. You know, these things happen. Celebrities have got to go to theatre clubs. Um, we don't know at which point they met each other here. If you go to the next one, we can see an image which has been widely shared, which is presumably Philip at the theatre club, all the other kiddos with their faces blurred out. But there's Matthew, which is, you know, between 10 and 15, I'm sure, in this photograph. I mean, even if 
the relationship began when it was perfectly normal, uh, perfectly reasonable well, age. Perfectly, st- I don't think anything, any possible legal, point is normal. Perfectly yeah, legal. legal age. It's still very strange. Yes, that's that's the main thing here. But we'll get to the next one because there's a record of Phil tweeting at Matthew a few years later. You see, this is 2014. It was just like, oh, how's the acting going? Got a big break yet? Smiley face, blah, 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 blah. We'll see you on the ITV morning sofa soon then, smiley face. <laughs> that's such a bad sense. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, look, it definitely looks bad with... See you on the sofa, all right. Yeah, you can see the, the account is deleted. This is the mm-hmm. second account, I believe, that Matthew made. That's, that's all that was about. When you turned 18, make a new Twitter account. Pretty sound advice for most people, because what you were tweeting when you were 15 is usually retarded. So not particularly unusual. And 18, 19, 20, for many years after that yeah, as well. Yeah, forever. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the next one there. There's the photograph I spoke about. So 18, he's invited to go and work for ITV. And as you can see here... Actor meets this morning presenters in behind the scenes day where he's up there, and that's where the photograph is from that was mentioned before. Now, if we go to the next one, he's then seen out on a date with um, Schofield. We're presuming it's a date, it's a dinner on their own in some place where they clearly didn't want to be seen because you can see this chap here, who's a, uh, I believe, a prankster YouTuber, uh, decided to do this where he set off some confetti and was like, haha, I've met Philip Schofield, and Philip's a bit like, oops. I didn't want can to be seen. Not, can you not film this, please? <laughs> yes. Well, which... I mean, right. Let's. I'm going to give this one the benefit of the doubt. Okay. This is Schofield. When At he... this point, just to mention the ages. So, yep. Matthew is about 18, and Philip is about 53. Very strange. Very weird. But to give the benefit of the doubt, if it had started around this period, then it is legal, and it could have just been that Schofield. One, it could have been some kind of private production meeting. You do have those in the in the business. Or it could have been him worried because of the fact that he's married. Publicly, everybody yes. thinks he's straight, so he may not want to come out this way. Could be that. Could be something weirder. Who knows? I should mention, if for no other reason than just to uh, really hammer out the legal side of this, I'm not saying there is any evidence that Philip Schofield has engaged in any pedophilic activity at this time. We have no evidence of such That's things. why I'm giving the benefit of the doubt on this one. Yeah. So... But then Matthew goes back to Manchester for work for a little bit before coming back to work on ITV, and then he works on ITV with Phil and Holly for the next four years, at least. So that's that's why he becomes settled in. And real quick, he would also go out with Philip's brother over there. Just oh, sorry, no, with Simon Schofield, a good friend of his. Where Simon, in this case, is no relation, not his brother. It's a different guy. We'll get to it in a minute. But he is the one who I believe founded the theatre company. He's a co-founder. So. I have heard about Schofield's brother. Uh, brother is a different chap, not this one. We'll get to his brother in a minute. Oh, all right. So, if we go to the next one, this is what's weird, because he's just a runner at ITV. But apparently, he's so important as a runner, he's at the award ceremonies, where they come and collect awards, which is pretty normal. Well, you said that they were in a relationship for a while, so I assume this overlaps with all of that. Yeah, uh, a lot of people have come out since and said there was always a taxi waiting for Matthew to go to Philip's house or vice versa. He wasn't keeping it particularly subtle. Which is strange, to say the least, if you didn't think there was a relationship going on. So, there's that. Then Matthew is all of a sudden promoted to go and work on Loose Women, which, um, that's a weird promotion. Yep. So most people have taken that as the relationship went sour. All of a sudden, he's moved on. So He built connections through his relationship with Schofield, and then you're able to just do what you want. You know, you can be flexible with it. There's some arguments about whether or not he was uh, promised a career with ITV, like becoming a presenter or something. 
this is all speculation, obviously, and therefore it was some kind of um, exchange your career for... Um, uh, don't know. Don't know anything. Nothing like might. that has ever happened in in the uh, entertainment industry. Nope, not once. I'm sure. Although we do know they had a relationship whilst he was getting moved up by ITV, but I'm sure there's nothing untoward about that. Right. So then the news came out all of a sudden, quite out of the blue, <laughs> as if nobody knew. <laughs> when the entertainment industry, when you when you're applying for the entertainment industry and they ask you, are you how flexible are you? Uh, it's a question with multiple meanings. Yeah, you can see the news here. Philip Schofield, support for ITV presenter after he comes out as gay. I'm gay, he said, all of a sudden, as if... <laughs> Anyone join the a- Navy. <laughs> yeah. Number one, nobody in Britain gave a crap. You can see this is 2020. I mean, we all sake. knew. No, but Obviously I mean... Obviously you were. The, the, the big thing about this is, um, aside from his wife, we'll get back to that in a minute, obviously it was presented in the British press and... Uh, by the elite as something courageous brave fantastic oh my god he's a hero to all gays of Britain stunning who and brave up until February 2020 have all been living in the closet unable to come out there's been nothing else I mean I think it was illegal up until February 6th and then February 7th <laughs> Elton John had been running from the law for years yeah no it, it wasn't big it was it was it was not some come out party in which everyone was surprised or like, oh my God, this is new in our culture. This was completely mundane. But for some reason, most of the, well, let's say television establishment made it a huge deal as if he was a hero. I mean, obviously the bravest part was uh, leaving his wife and children behind. It's very brave whenever a man does that. (laughs) No man does not get compliments for doing such a thing. No. So, quote, huge respect and admiration to our friend, Schofield tweeted fellow ITV presenters Ant and Deck, sending you love, P, and your three lovely girls, which you've just left. <laughs> you've just abandoned. Which um, You've just kicked out on the side of the road. Bit, bit tone deaf. <laughs> uh, Dimot O'Leary, David Williams, and uh, James Corden also applauded him. That's David Williams. David Williams, sorry. Uh, takes a lot of guts to do this, not least when you're a very public figure and know it will all be dissected in a very public way, said Piers Morgan. Sending my best wishes to Schofield and his family. Notorious owner of good takes, Piers yeah, Morgan. Yeah, I mean, just amazing every time. He's like, oh my God, you came out as gay. That's so brave. It's like, it's 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 not really. I I mean, it, it, if this was the nineties, sure, it isn't. Like this is really mundane. And at the time, <laughs> myself and a lot of other people found it very strange that for some reason the media was making this out like it was the nineties. And, and this is quite funny because even in the nineties, you had somebody like. Um, you won't know them. There's a band called Judas Priest that you might have heard of because they were quite notorious. Supposedly, they put backwards messages in their songs to convince their fans to kill themselves because this was the best way to make money is to, <laughs> is to get your audience to, you know, top yeah. themselves. Uh, but he came out as gay in the 90s and everybody went, oh, well, obviously you were. You got the entire band to dress up in leather yeah. like bikers and you came out on motorbikes and you looked really gay the whole time. My, my point being, at least you could argue there's some stigma back then. There is, yes, there was. It still. is illegal <laughs> to say anything bad about Schofield because he's a homosexual and it has been for about 15 years. Well, 20 years. 20 years, sorry. It's 2023. 20 years. It's been illegal to even say such a thing. At least say something online. I, I just, I don't know what... Like, it was unusual, is my point, to make such a big spectacle out of it. It's almost as if it was a distraction from something else, such as, you know, cheating on your wife. So, if we go to the next one here, we can see Edmund Holmes, at the time, came out to congratulate him. He was on the show, hosting it, and um, then gave him a big old hug, made a tweet where he's like, you know, proud of him, support him, his family and his sexuality. 
Not really sure how that works. Is that your keys in your pocket, Philip? Do you do you support his family and sexuality whilst because of his new sexuality because he's leaving his wife? I yep. don't I don't know how that works, but whatever. They all whatever. just they, they they all know that when somebody does something like this, no matter their actual feelings on it, no matter the relationship they may have with the family, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they've all got to come and trot out and give the same uh, the the round of applause. Mm. How brave! How stunning of you! And of course, well, these people, at least people like Phil, are complete establishment, whatever the state wants, have it on TV. We saw this through COVID. They're not questioning. They're just part of the machinery. Not very interesting. Um, tobacco salesman, if you want, except they're not even actually the salesman. They're just kind of the guy flipping the board. But he had a few moments which were really not so um, PR friendly. If we go to the next link here, we can see, of course, the big bad. Oh, I remember Probably this. the biggest one was um, using his fame to skip the queue to go and see Her Majesty when she was dead, which um, was real bad because of course David Beckham waited four hours. In the line with normal people and mm. just spoke to them like a normal guy. Because no one's going to stab you and or steal And also he did wallet. so with a face like he's... Well, I know he was a, a, attending a funeral, but a face like a smacked ass. Look at it. Cheating on the queen there. There we are. Cheating on the queue, I should say. <laughs> Not Lee Willoughby's guilty eyes there. Oh mm. God, we've been caught. So, then the next big bad thing for him PR-wise came out. His brother's a pedo. This we can say, because as you can see here, convicted. He's jailed for child abuse. Timothy Schofield was found guilty in April of 11 sexual offences involving a child between 2016 and 2019. I'm assuming given the English legal system, like two weeks in jail, slap wrist, don't do it again. I don't know the details here because I think they're waiting to sentence him at the time right. this was written, but... Just like, I know anyway. what the English law legal system is like when it comes to cases like this, and it's terrible. Do you want to know what he was doing? Following the verdict, the 54-year-old was sacked from his job as a civilian worker for Avon and Somerset Police. Great. The deets get worse, though, because, okay, your brother may be a nonce. That's, that's you know, disgusting. Can happen. Doesn't necessarily mean Philip is, of course. No, of course not. Uh, if we go to uh, the Daily Mail, they have the deets. They say on the 12th of September 2021, he phoned his brother Philip saying that his head was in a mess and could he come and see him? So this is before Philip's come out as gay, just to remind everyone. I know that's afterwards. Sorry, get yeah, correct. yeah, that's a, a year and a half after. Yeah. The defendant is seven years younger than Philip and that they had been not particularly close growing up. However, in December 2019, the defendant told his brother he was gay. It's just like, okay. The defendant here being, of course, the other brother. So in 2019, Timothy, Timothy goes, uh, Philip, I'm gay. And a year later, Philip comes out publicly and says, I'm gay. No, actually, uh, about two months later. Two months later, in fact. Yeah. According to Philip, the defendant travelled up that day and he was extremely agitated. His brother described him as very angry and distressed. The defendant also told his brother that he was impotent. Right. The defendant then said his brother would hate him for what he was about to say, but Philip said he wouldn't. The defendant said th that last year he and a boy had watched pornography and jacked off together. Philip Schofield then said, what did you just say? And the defendant repeated it. It was just last year and just once. Philip said it should never happen again. Right, okay. Disgusting conversation, but you would have thought they would have ended it there immediately and just been like, I'm calling the police or something. Um, no, the brother then went on to describe the boy's body in a sexual way and said he would have had a name for the time they spent together, the court heard. The TV presenter responded, what the hell is that? I was shocked the court was told. Really weird. Really, really weird. 
I mean, they would have thought the conversation would stop there, but then the nonce here was like, oh, let me tell you about the body of the guy. Gross. Gross. You okay. can see why people have come to... If you hadn't already called the police, that's when you hang up yeah. and call the police. So, if you go to the next link here, then people started asking about Philip, of course, which is where people get sus about all of this. And, um, of course, it doesn't mean he's a pedophile just because his brother is convicted. Of course not. But you can see here, he came out and made a statement in which he said he admits he had an affair with young morning runner while he was still married. Host lied to cover up relationship with a much younger man, but says it was not illegal. Okay. Now, this is where the, the that's the drama explained, as far as I can get. All right. Here's the response. Because Edmund Holmes then decided to do a whole bunch of um, things. Now, getting back to him, because he's the only one who's gone sort of nuclear publicly. Just to be clear, I want to say, I think his name is Eamon. Eamon, sorry. I always just call him Edmund. I don't know. I always call Holly Willoughby. Holly Willoughby as well. But Oh, well, well uh, there's a reason for that. That's a fair one. So he says here, he was lied to. One day, I will tell the story. We had no issue with him being gay, only support. What transpired took us for fools. The man told us complete lies, and we were, unfortunately, believing him. Interesting. He then decided to tweet out unprompted, the next one. Well, he says that four high members of ITV management knew that he was having an affair on his wife with a very young boy. Well, man, I should say, because he's of age. I mean, it says the doing it. never once took action to prevent him controlling or taking advantage of his position over young people. Now, once again, they basically already came out at the time in 2020 and stated, oh, we support you. We don't really care about your family because you're going to leave them, yada, yada, yada. So just having an affair with a, bo- with a man... Um, uh, that hurts his wife Could and his relationship f- with his children seems to be something they supported at the time. This seems like they're coming out and reacting against something very different than what we've stated, that, you know, whatever went on with this Matthew McGreary boy Maybe. seems to have been in a legal time frame. But more the point is just the, the deciding point here. I don't think the, the nonce angle is particularly... I haven't found any evidence for that at this time, except the, uh, you know, he followed this kid at 15. That doesn't mean he's a nonce. It's weird. It doesn't mean he's a nonce. But... If any heterosexual had done this, this series of events, um, you wouldn't really get away with it. No, of course not. I mean, you wouldn't be able to say I'm gay, obviously, but even if you came out as bi, <laughs> like, you, you've been cheating on your wife with an 18-year-old girl, you're 50. Um, I don't think the network would have stood by you. I don't think all your presenters would have had a moment hugging you and being like, oh, they're there. And I don't think his wife would have been tried out to say how proud she was of him as well, which... Awkward. Imagine how horrifying that would be to come out and I'm so glad my husband is gay. I'm yeah. so glad he's leaving me and not children. Now, the deeds of that and why I don't feel too bad for the wife in this case, though, is because uh, I, I read that he always said he was bisexual. So I don't know what their relationship was like, him and the wife, presumably having threesomes or something beforehand. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Speculation to, on my part. I have to put these images in my head. My point being, uh, I, I, uh, a lot of people are wondering, you know, why is the wife not going mental about it? And it's like, hmm, maybe she could tell. Let's, let's be honest. But we'll go to the next also, one. Also, maybe she knows that if she did go mental about it, she would be condemned by the media. Maybe. You can see Holly here put out a statement. She's being like, I was lied to. I asked Phil if he was having a relationship with the boy, and um, he said no. So I was lied to. Okay. okay. If there wasn't something illegal going on, this is something that they all would have supported at the time. Why are they all coming out now and saying, like, oh, I can't believe it. They totally lied to me. So the, the so betrayed. current situation is that it's a conversation about inappropriate relationships rather than an illegal one. All right. So, Philip put out a statement where he decided to put out, quote, I am free to say this. I hope you have noticed that it's all the same handful of people with a grudge against me or the show who seem to have the loudest voice. You mean your staff? I mean, like your former presenter friends. I mean, you know, 
Edmund Vermilion. Holly Willoughby, who you've had a working relationship with for over 10 years at this point. 20, I think. Yeah, something ridiculous. So we go, uh, he also says, in all the years I worked there, there was no toxicity. Now, this isn't taken well by his friends. Of course, if you go to the next one there, you can see uh, Edmund just being like, um, that's delusional. <laughs> so, <laughs> Christ. That's his, that's his words. So then this guy decided to go and do an interview with GB News. So he spills the beans as much as um, he, he would, let's say. So you can see that, in which he comes out and basically just kind of, <laughs> kind of just calls Philip a useless C-word. Really? In general, he was like, yeah, he was crap. He couldn't use the teleprompter. He was so rude because he wouldn't even learn the names of any of the production staff. He was just a complete arrogant asshole constantly. He didn't even get good views, apparently. Well, I mean, he <laughs> learned enough of the names of certain production staff one to of them, yeah. add them on Twitter. The, the, the only one. But it looks a bit... But, yeah. Oh, just uh, Daisy's messed me that uh, his brother was jailed for 12 years. There you are. 12 years. Okay, that's better than I was expecting, yeah. at least. But not only is he uh, useless, <laughs> which was just okay. We got the next one in which he says that um, he had heard rumors that this inappropriate relationship was going on. But what do you do with those? Like, do you go to Philip? Do you go to production staff? Whatever. So he didn't, he didn't really know what to do with the information. And he had, uh, presumably, because Holly said she had asked him and been told no. Maybe they believe that in the office. Who knows? Office politics. Difficult to tell what's going on. But if you go to the next one, he also mentions that when the boy was moved on to Loose Women, it was super awkward. None of the new Loose Women like Schofield either. Apparently nobody likes him. <laughs> so Everybody who came out supporting him, oh, he's so brave, oh, we love him so much, I've worked with him for decades, all come out all of a sudden and go, actually, he was a twat. Apparently it's just the most insufferable culture. The only person who was publicly liking him was apparently a woman, you know the type if you ever go to a meeting where they're just sucking up to people who could advance their career? That's it. So... That's, that's his words. And then if he goes to the last one here, he mentions that, well, the entire TV industry in the UK is just full of abuse and covering up abuse. Not mentioning details. Oh, okay, that's interesting. But there's that. I mean, so. Eamon, if you really want to come out as a very brave person, then maybe names might be useful speaking to a police yeah. officer, getting an well, investigation if started, if there is yeah. evidence of it. He also mentions that he was kicked out uh, immediately after Philip came out as gay. Oh, really? Just the next day they kicked him. Out of the show. So, presumably he's the only one who was going to say I'm so shocked that the entertainment industry is full of backstabbers. If you go to the next link, we can see just where he says that it's full of abuse. So, there's that. Doesn't like people being... Uh, doesn't like people who don't toe the line, it's his words. So, it definitely seemed like people knew there was an inappropriate relationship, for sure. Now, going back, though, a lot of people have been digging up evidence, which is um, grim. Grim, to say the least. You have this lady here who just... Uh, asks, where was your wife when you were overindulging in Portuguese beverages? Because he was That's on... That's a hell of a euphemism. He was on holiday in Portugal posting pictures of himself and not his wife. Well, she, she was just not invited to ah. the holiday. <laughs> As you do. The next one is also a doctor who went out during the uh, COVID situation to tell everyone that the vaccine 100% protects you against death or catching the virus. So not a doctor, mm. just, just a stooge. But he's on here talking about how the runner is a gay stud. Which was, <laughs> okay. you know. And that's one way to get it in the industry, isn't it? Now, everyone seems to ignore the thing that I found, which uh, I deeply remembered because I found it weird at the time. Because we'll get the next one. The Mirror reported on this back in the day. Philip once decided to have David Cameron on the show and out of the blue decided to hand him a piece of paper with a list of alleged Tory paedophiles on it. In the middle of the show, unprompted, unscripted. Wait, wait. <laughs> when was this? This was, this was a while back, 2012. You can see there, if you go to the Mirror article, and have it. 
After being handed the list, the Prime Minister warned that internet discussions of an alleged paedophile ring could degenerate into a witch hunt against people who are gay. That's an interesting connection that was just made out of nowhere. I, what I an odd thing to say. I don't know why the Prime Minister said that. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, maybe everyone on that list was... Uh, just an innocent homosexual, I don't know. Uh, Policing and Criminal Justice Minister Damien Green said Schofield's actions were tasteless and silly, and an ITV spokesman demanded that an investigation was taken, and then they made them both apologise. What an absolutely bizarre thing to do. They they both made them apologise for handing a list of alleged paedophiles to the Prime Minister. On television. Yes. For some reason, presumably... I mean, if we're going to talk kayfabe here, then presumably just to see what kind of reaction it would get. Ooh, throw a wrench into this interview. Maybe. I mean, I don't think there's anything inappropriate about giving the Prime Minister a list of powerful pedos. I mean, who else do you give it to? <laughs> like the police? If they're powerful people, then they're not, the police aren't going to do anything. That's a good point. But whatever. It's, just, it's very weird to me that the immediate response to this, because none of the names were mentioned, it was not libelous or anything of the sort, of was cover it up, how dare you hand over a list of alleged pedophiles to the Prime Minister. <laughs> Again, the, 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 the machine's response to events is... Not the one I would have taken. I'm I would have been like, I'm attending this guy's dinner party next week. This guy's <laughs> the week after. I can't do anything with yeah. this. None of the names were made public ever, so we don't know. Great. And if we go to the next one here, we can see the media are as corrupt as expected. The uh, chap here releasing that the Sunday editor Newton and CEO Brooks, who three years ago met with ITV's McCall, Ligo and Gormley, a bunch of names who were involved. Who, who cares? Just random people who work in the machine. I'd assume ITV, but McCall, Davina McCall, maybe. All these people agreed to drop hostile stories on Schofield. In return, ITV would give them more exclusives and keep advertising. No wonder Schofield's I'm gay story went to them. Now, that's just media corruption being corrupt. But that's not the last thing. I know this is going on a bit, but I no, have no, to get carry on. all the deets to make sure that we've uh, covered all the stones. Let's be thorough. Given all the evidence that exists. Politico last year did a big think. This is a big old think. Philip Schofield and best pal Simon groomed McCree claims telly insiders. Now, this no, is their words. No, this is completely alleged. I would never believe such a thing. Yeah. So Politico is alleging from an unnamed source that a close friend, Simon Schofield from earlier, no relation, groomed Matthew. Uh, because Simon was the co-founder of th- the uh, theatre company that we mentioned, which is where these two seem to have met. And a um, bit weird. So They don't just have a night out at one point in which, you know, he's of legal age, so what would it matter? Mm-hmm. It's friends or whatever. For the next one, we can see they have some screenshots. They have since... I can't find. Presumably they've been deleted from the Instagram accounts that belong to them. So this one here is from someone in which they have the boy, who is um, not of age in this photograph, nope. with Simon, the friend... Uh, in which it, he, the boy is looking up at the grown man and the look of love XX is the comment on Instagram. Weird, weird. Not necessarily anything illegal, but really weird, to say the least. Just saying. Uh, I believe in this photograph, actually, he would have been 16 and four months, so that is of age by four months. But in the next one, we have him... But still very inappropriate, I would contend. In the next one, we have him at 15, in which he's on uh, Simon Schofield's Instagram. He's since deleted this photo. Along with so, some of the others. Just, I want to wrap up the narrative here. So the mm. alleged narrative that we could take from this, that's all alleged and nothing wrong has officially gone on and nothing illegal has officially been done outside of baseless speculation that I would not contend in. But the alleged story that one could put together would be that powerful people within the UK entertainment industry sponsor and set up young actors to be able to... <laughs> 
have easy access to young actors through which they can use to groom them and then carrot on stick take them along into the entertainment industry where from that point onwards they can be passed about from set to set as basically production gimps. I mean, that would be the worst possible interpretation. Of that it. certainly would be a heinous and alleged interpretation well, that I would never... Well, uh, the insider you know, says, I, th I think Simon was the middleman in some way to then pass them on to Schofield. Can't imagine they would have got together when Matt was underage. So he's not saying any nonsense took place of anything of the sort. No, but still very strange. The, uh, you know, that's, that's a matter for the law. What's true is that it's just an inappropriate relationship in general anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. that's regardless. So, 50-year-old, shouldn't be getting with an 18-year-old. Weird. Like you say, don't do it. Harvey Weinstein, all of the women that he got with, suppose, uh, as far as I remember, were of age. It was more the coercive nature of the relationship, which really yeah. did him in. I mean, the, the less, you know, um, sceptical version of events is clearly just there are a lot of people, of course, who work in media who then patronize the arts through theaters or whatever to help young people get into the arts, and they all know each other. And maybe he just, you know, they're friends. They've been working at the arts together that for five years. That certainly would be an innocent interpretation of all of these things. That's, um, you know, the, but the evidence is there. I wanted to lay it all out because people are making uh, judgments and, um, well, there it all is. Um, Make up your own mind. Yeah, but that's that. Again, just for the lawyers involved, um, not alleging anything illegal took place between any of these people because I can't find any. But the story is not one of illegality, especially in the mainstream. It's one of inappropriate relationship. I mean, if a heterosexual man to that done followed a 15-year-old girl at that point on Twitter and then, you know, knew them through the theater and then they became part of the production staff and no illegal relationship had taken place, it still would have been super weird and no one would have defended them. <laughs> yep. Least of all the wife or the television studio. But that's the thing about the West. I, I have important information to tell everybody. I am straight. Yeah. The, the thing about the West, though, is, and this is the part of the minoritarian empire. I am empire. my wife for a younger woman. Oh, so stunning and brave. If you can come out as a minority group, you can literally just get away with anything. I mean, the joke from Family Guy of, wow, you're transgender, do whatever you want all the time, I guess, is just true. I mean, even in this instance, inappropriate relationship takes place, not illegal, but inappropriate. Why is no one just like, okay, yeah, you need to leave then? No, instead, it was like, I'm so proud of you for coming out. You did, you know, Piers Morgan and James Corden, the, the best take machines out there. Oh, yeah. Come up to endorse you. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, that's the information. Um, hopefully, I did my job. I did leave out two things because I didn't find them very relevant. Once they drank whiskey on set, and also Philip Schofield had a Snapchat, which there's no real data on, but some people keep bringing it up for no reason. So I remember a few years ago his Snapchat suddenly blew up because he was posting himself doing weird things and he became a social media darling and I just looked at the things that he was posting and was like, this isn't funny, this no, isn't it's entertaining, just, just go away. boring the stuff. Yep. Anyway. My, my, the display on my camera's gone off, John. Is that uh, is, is, As long as it's still broadcasting, that's all right. Anyway, we shall be moving on. All right, so it's time to take a look at what anti-discrimination looks like because anti-discrimination law is absolutely ridiculous and leads to people of protected characteristics getting massive payouts for stupid little things. And that's what we'll look at in this article, in this segment. And uh, before I go further, promotion that we've got on the website, we've got a new video from uh, Carl and Stelios where they talk about liberalism. The video is called Why Liberalism is a Universal Acid. And despite the title... Uh, and the description, this is not a discussion that they are both agreeing on. It's more of a debate that Carl and Stelios are having on the concept of liberalism and classical liberalism in particular, where Carl is going against it and Stelios is arguing in favour of it. So it isn't just a necessarily a discussion that they both agree on. It is a more contentious debate between the two of them. It's, well, I say 
contentious, friendly debate between the two of them, <laughs> despite the death stares that they are throwing at each other. I mean, there was other. a weird moment where Stelios pulled off his slipper and started throwing them at Carl. Started beating him. Shouting glory to Iraq. Or... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you'll have to go and watch it and find out if that happened or not. I don't know if Greek Stelios would do something. <laughs> glory to Erdogan. <laughs> no, he certainly wouldn't do that. Uh, but you can get access to the premium content we have on the and website. Find out for if I'm lying. Five pounds a month, and yes, you can test out Callum's baseless lies <laughs> by watching the video all the way through. Anyway, so I saw this story that was just so. It just exemplified everything wrong with the US and the West in particular, with how it treats claims of uh, allegations of racism, allegations of racial discrimination, and how it rewards people of protected characteristics for what I consider to be bad behavior and awards them with millions of dollars. So this New York Times article came out and blew up where she said Equinox, who are a gym company in, based in New York, fired her for being a black woman and the jury agreed and gave her 11.25 million dollars for it. Stunning and brave. Yes. Here we have the header totally image earned. where if you're not watching, it's a, 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 a stunning and brave independent black woman. But, but you see that necklace? Uh, oh god, it's a guillotine! She's I hadn't a, noticed that. A guillotine for a necklace. Okay, that's a trustworthy character if I've ever seen one. I kind of want one. Her looking resolute, her looking strong, eyes closed. She's thinking of MLK. She's thinking this is what he wanted. Um, and I'll just read through some of this article and then go into a bit more detail as we go along because it it is seriously ridiculous. So between 2018 and 2019, Robin Europe, that's the woman. A prof former professional bodybuilder worked at an Equinox on the Upper East Side where she managed personal trainers. All seems pretty normal so far. Years earlier, as a scholarship student at Brearley, the girls' school several blocks away, where she began in seventh grade commuting from Carnacy to the, uh, and then Coney Island, she had experienced the coded bias of privileged teenagers because um, there was only one other black student in her class. Now, I looked into this... I don't know if it was the case when she was going to school there, but Brearley, on their website, brags at the fact that they have over 50% non-white students, students of colour. So Massive over-representation of them. Massive over-representation indeed, but no, she was still experiencing coded privilege, so let's, let's find out. She, uh, but despite that, she had still not prepared, she was still not prepared for what she described as crass, unfiltered expressions of prejudice from male colleagues in an expensive gym, awash with the scent of eucalyptus oil, if not the base notes of enlightenment. I don't know why they type out articles like this, why they write them like this, because I know you're trying to lay on the narrative thick, but this isn't poetry class. This isn't poetry 101. This isn't English in your first grade or whatever you're doing. You just please just write the articles like a normal bloody human being, for the love of God. Ms. Europe's tenure at the club was short-lived. Equinox terminated her employment in less than a year because the company said she was late 47 times in the course of 10 months. Open and shut case. There you go. That's more than once a week. And we don't have... Throughout this entire article, we don't have any information on how late she was each of these times. And just because it's more than once a week doesn't mean that these didn't cluster. So she, maybe she was late for work every single day I hate to be rude, over a week. I think this might be a case of black privilege, in fact. Yes, in fact, because I feel like if I had been late for work over once a week... For in the space of less than a year. They keep having a chat with you about it. I'd get fired. I've worked in call centres before where I've been late 
once for the first time after working there for a year, and they've said, this happens again, you're fired. Yeah. Whereas if I had, you know, broke out the shoe polish that morning, maybe, maybe they'd have gone a bit more leniently on me. Would they? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Harry, you've clearly blacked up. You're fine. <laughs> but is it because I'm black? You're not black. <laughs> what do you mean, you people? We didn't say you people, Harry. But now please get out. <laughs> Why you got to hurt him? Keep, keep a brother down. Oh, the civil rights case of our time. <laughs> Harry versus Vodafone. <laughs> Uh, Ms. Europe held a different view of her firing because of course she did you get fired everyone has a different view of their firing when you're fired you go I didn't deserve this and they go you were late every single week get out believing that her lateness was merely a pretext for discrimination because of course it was because of course that's what they will say people in protected classes can get away with whatever they want because they know if they get in trouble for it they can literally just hire a legal team of progressives who will sue the company for it and win you millions of dollars as happened here she filed a, a lawsuit in a manhattan federal court arguing she'd be subjected to a hostile work environment and eventually let go because of her race and gender last week a predominantly white jury of five women and three men agreed, delivering a verdict in a little over an hour. The next day, they awarded her $11.25 million in damages. And I've just... What kind of... You know, five women, fine. They're going to be immediately more susceptible to this sort of thing. But it took, like, less than... A, a little over an hour. What would these men look like? I can imagine that they would be just finishing off their, you know, soy milk lattes and such. They'd be overflowing with estrogen. I have a, a potential image of what I imagine these three men looked like. Have you seen this video going around? No, I haven't. You should describe it for people listening. So for those those listening, it's a man with a, shall we say, dysgenic features, uh, bright ginger hair, soy beard, soy glasses, soy nose, soy facial expression on his TikTok responding to a question, does your wife's boyfriend enjoy these videos? And you can see, and I've watched the video, this is entirely true, the captions say, so yes, to answer your question, my spouse's partner does enjoy these videos. Self-report, but these are the kinds of men that you can expect to see on a New York jury near you if you ever find yourself in trouble, or you know, potentially suing a company for racial discrimination, in which case, good on you, you're going to get every single penny you asked for and probably an extra $10 million on top of it because this is a man who is led by women. And these are the kinds that we can expect. But once again, let's let's go back to the article. $11.25 million. There's got to be some pretty harsh allegations of the kind of racial discrimination that was going on. Well, I every day she was late, they did call her the N-word. And then so. burnt a cross in front of her... <laughs> They said, okay, this is new official gym membership clothes, and they handed her a white hood. Yeah. I can only assume that these she sorts sat down of things... at her desk and someone had written the word monkey on her on her screen. One that... time, one of her staff, uh, one of her colleagues came up and tried to scrub her clean, so to speak. Yeah, none of this happened. None of it happened. None of it happened. <laughs> Obviously, none of it happened. And they bring up some other cases that are relatively similar. They bring up the recent Donald Trump case uh, where it says, and, and this is really telling, and this is the point that really needs to be hammered home here. In both cases, the process and outcomes suggest the ways in which recent transformative social movements around race and gender might reframe the way that juries think about the long shadow of emotional disruption that bigotry or sexual violence can produce. So basically, we have propagandized the entire population into believing social justice BS, and now you are if you are a white person, you are not going to be getting a fair trial, and if you are a person who exists under a protected characteristic, 
you will get a trial overwhelmingly stacked in your favour, even if what you're coming out with is absolute nonsense. Because like, we just gave you a list of examples of you know, actual racism, you could say, in a courtroom. And instead, they've come out with, yeah, well, what if we reprogram everyone, as you say? Yep. It's... I mean, because because of the way that the affirmative action kind of and uh, discrimination laws exist and how they work, you can basically sued for anything. And if you are, like I say, a member of a protected characteristic, you... If you get fired for anything, you can do the same thing and you can come up with any old thing out of your back pocket. Oh, they looked at me. They gave me the side eye. And the, we'll see the we'll see the examples. So do you want to see... The company had a white presence. Yep. Do you want to hear the examples? Let's, let's get sure, to the examples. Sure. Let's see if they're anywhere near as bad as what we said. So the case revolved in large part around allegations that a manager who reported to Ms. Europe, a middle-aged white man whom she described as insulated by his relationships with people above her, refused to accept her as his supervisor probably because you were late every single week and it made you seem like you were unfit to be a supervisor. Maybe. That's just my speculation. She claimed that he re repeatedly delivered his vulgar takes on black female bodies, presumably meaning complimented women who went to the gym. <laughs> referred. Yeah, what does that mean? That could literally be him sitting there being like, God, I love black women. Oh, he did. We'll see why. Oh. We'll see. We'll see that he did as well. Because she's like, I'm not having that. Yep, yep. He referred to non-white employees as lazy, which I assume means that he specifically named certain lazy staff members who happened to be non-white. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't just go, "God, old Mexicans are lazy, aren't they?" No, no, he probably went and Javier there is not working very hard. We should make him work a bit harder because he's being lazy. We should get on that, and also express the hope that he could get them fired. Well. Managers just be like that sometimes, I'm sad to say. He also called one black co-worker autistic. That's not worth $11 million in damages. That's not even directed at you. That's directed at a different worker. God damn, I'm bankrupt. That's <laughs> I, I know, right? Uh, in the early spring of 2019, the suit claimed he demanded that his boss wait outside the gym with him for a young black woman to leave a cafe where she worked so he could make a pass at her on the theory that he would better be, uh, be better positioned with a black person standing next to him. Ms. Europe, according to the complaint, refused to be a racial pawn. So he wanted, he, he wanted. He to, wanted her to be a wingman. Basically, he asked her to wingman him, and she said, "What are you racist or something?" And he's like, "She's literally black, though." <laughs> it's like, I mean, seriously, it's this is not worth eleven million dollars, and uh, the accumulation of these incidents, she testified, made her time time at Equinox so stressful. And I believe that these are all of the allegations. These are all of the allegations. <laughs> these four allegations. Oh God, I'm dying of stress. Are enough to bring back to, to create uh, mean that her bulimia that she struggled with for much of her life worsened. Her physical illnesses got worse, and this is terrible. People who suffer bulimia, that's a terrible thing to suffer through. But it says, uh, while working her there, her condition was bad enough she began vomiting several times a day and started to throw up blood. She eventually had to enter a treatment program for eating disorders. I'm sorry, lady. You are a professional bodybuilder, and obviously this bulimia is probably a result of the kind of things that you've had to do with your diet to be able to get your body into peak physical condition so that you can you know, go to these bodybuilding competitions and, exp and uh, display yourself there. But if as a result of that, just these few things, this guy going, hey bro, can you wingman me for five minutes? Has you vomiting blood? Maybe you should speak to a therapist before yeah, you sure go back actually... to work. Are you really fit for the workforce? If that's at the point at which you're there going to go, I'm dying. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic here. This is a terrible thing to go through. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. But maybe the problem is with you. If you can't, if you really can't, I am a surgeon. <laughs> if you really can't handle a workplace like this without vomiting blood, maybe you should. I mean, she eventually did go to a, a treatment program, but maybe you should have done that first. And uh, then we get on to her lawyers. All of them women at Crumilla, which describes itself as a feminist litigation firm, argued that their clients' complaints to male bosses went unheard. On the witness stand, she talked about an incident that left her feeling especially defeated. Oh yeah, this is the only other allegation as well. One evening in June 2019, she was in her office when she got a call from someone who dealt directly with members, a woman who was talking to a client who had specifically asked for a white trainer. She explained that requests like that exposed the company to liability and would need to be handled by a supervisor, whom she assumed would tell the client that, he was wor- uh, that what he was asking for was inappropriate. She recounted how upset she had been over her co-worker's willingness to relay the request as though it would be good customer service to fulfill it when she told her boss <laughs> he went ahead and let the client have a white trainer anyway okay, okay. the reason i laugh is i currently currently get adverts and uh they're like therapy adverts in which the therapist is like i specifically asked for black women therapists and they'll provide it yeah of course that's the thing if, if it had been somebody over the phone going hey can i have a specifically black trainer no issue no issues there whatsoever. would be no problem because it's the protected class it's only if you say i want I just- I want somebody, if it's anything non-white, if I want an Asian trainer... Didn't you go to an all-female lawyer team for some reason? Feminist lawyer team. Uh, I just, I find it unbearable how... how double-sided life is, but that's... that's It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And this this picture will haunt your nightmares. If you ever say hello to a woman the wrong way on the street, these these are the people who will be handling the case. I mean, to be honest, the reason this terrifies me is not because these people are going to bankrupt you for saying hello. It's more because... (laughs) Although they probably will do that. that. But these people, I don't think, see the law as anything sacred. They just simply see it as a tool to get their way. Oh, oh, it's... it's, You're pretty much bang on right there, as we'll get to uh, later on. The article actually continues as well, saying... Although he was reprimanded by a superior in writing a week later, so he provides the white trainer, gets in trouble for it, so she should be happy. Okay. That's basically what she was asking for. Uh, And according to a spokesman at Equinox, was fired one year after that, Ms. Europe happened to receive a second disciplinary warning for lateness on the same day that she had written an email bringing the issue to the attention of managers and people in human resources. Three months later, she was fired. I'm sorry to break this to you, lady, but you can bring a problem to the attention of your supervisors while also still being late every single week and deserving being told off for that. Yeah, I mean, the the conversation there is, were you late? Yes, and and Ms. Europe never denied that she was often late for work, but her lawyers have presented... No, and it doesn't say how late she was each time as well. I mean, mm. late could mean anything from five minutes to, you know, three hours. So who, who knows? And once For some again, reason, she doesn't want to talk about that aspect. No, it's not mentioned no. in here because it might make her look bad. Uh, not that the actual context makes her, doesn't, makes her look good anyway. Her lawyers had presented juries with a chart indicating how many other people also failed to show up on time, though with relatively few consequences. Once again, no context for how often, how late they were. Was it once a week? I doubt it. In their motion to have the case re-evaluated, lawyers for Equinox did not dispute that the racially and se- sexually charged comments made by her subordinate had occurred, but maintained that they were too few to support claims of a hostile workplace, which sounds perfectly reasonable to me, as far as I'm concerned. Beyond that, they maintained that the emotional distress she suffered as a function of her time at the gym was not egregious enough, and just to show the kind of... 
uh, average IQ that the New York Times believes that they are working with, with their own readers. It's the, it just says a legal term, egregious enough, a legal term, just in case you didn't know what egregious means. It's not just a legal term either. It's a word you can use outside of the courtroom, but okay. Just, just, for, <laughs> just okay, for the, just for the sub ninety IQ morons. Lawyer, reading. A person who does law. <laughs> I know. Uh, it wasn't egregious enough to warrant the amount of money the jury had recommended in November. They give another example of something else like this happening in this article. A federal jury in Texas awarded three hundred sixty-six million dollars to a black saleswoman who had sued FedEx over discrimination in a case that was thought to deliver the largest ever verdict in litigation involving employment and racial bias. Three months later, federal judge rejected the company's bid to throw out the award or reduce it, which is just awful business, if you ask me, because they don't give any context for that. But if it's anything like this, if th if as little as this can get you eleven point two five million dollars when you were fired as far as i can tell through this article for perfectly reasonable reasons but that's the thing it, 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 again this is just a telling statement about the west if you can accuse a company of something morally wrong racism in the west and even if it's not real if there's just the threat of it becoming something you're associated with they'll just throw money at you to go away if because it's cheaper if literally asking somebody, a black woman, to wingman you while you try and hit on a black cutie, who's who's like, like, like a cute person who's coming out of the cafe, is enough to be called racist, mm. then you've got to remember as well that racism is considered an excuse for physical violence as long as the person being racist is white and the person they're being racist to is black. That you, you know, if you're being racist to a black person as a white huge person, costs. it's 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 not just huge costs. Uh, that's an excuse that most people will justify for why you're, it's okay to punch you in the face or beat you up, as well. Especially in a place like New York. I mean, you would think the it's law terrible. would take it more serious. Those kind of allegations. No, of course they don't. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do want to point out that this is just the way that society's been going for a while. Because uh, we've got to remember that being on time is quite racist. If we go, if we cast our minds back to this from the African American History Museum, uh, History and Culture, where it pointed out white culture, including things like the uh, Protestant work ethic, uh, hard work, that's evil and white, and in the next one as well. This is always just a fun one to go back to, time, following rigid time schedules and viewing time as a commodity. I did also see this person on Twitter in the next one, please, John pointing out that some workplaces and universities have stopped punishing tardiness because different cultures have different perceptions of time. Provided some examples, and I found this one that he pointed out in the next link, please. This is from the Stanford Social Innovation Review. The bias of professionalism standards. And this is from 2019. Can you tell what professionalism means? Professionalism <laughs> is coded language for white supremacy. <laughs> yeah. Are you trying to hold back the tears? Is it a uh, laugh or cry situation here? It's a joker situation. It, it, you wouldn't get it. Uh, it's a white favoritism in workplaces. They include pieces like um, puzzle pieces. Uh, companies want to know if you're a cultural fit, a concept exemplified by people describing the ideal employee as someone they would go to lunch with. 2016 survey found that 84% of employers strongly focused on cultural fit, which means that you ask in the interview... Are you easy to get along with, would you say? That's racist. That's a no. If that's the response... Well, you can't write that down, otherwise I'll sue you for $11 million. I guess, I guess you're hired. Congratulations. Yeah, we are. The system works. There you go. I mean, I won't be inviting you to any lunches, but then again, maybe I will have to, million because it's not... The, yeah, there's $11 million <laughs> for you. And they point out timeliness in this as well, where they give all sorts of reasons for why, basically, 
black and immigrant communities, as they say, have a deep ancestral connection to polychronic cultural orientation. Some people of colour push against this by adopting a monochronic orientation, but many hold on to their polychronic work style. As a result, they may lose their jobs more often in a culture biased against their norms, which is basically a fancy way of saying they're late more often, but it's cultural discrimination. It's being racist. God, I love this. It's, it's like when people try and argue that Ebonics is some kind of English dialect and clearly not just you speaking wrong. Yep. And this is why we need to start teaching people in school in Ebonics, which will not help them You know, it's a real movement, all. right? No, I know. Yeah. I know. Um, John McWhorter's talked about it quite a few times and basically just explained over and over again, this will not help people. If you teach them in Ebonics in school, it will just set them up for failure when they actually go into the real world yeah. where nobody else speaks in Ebonics outside of their neighbourhood. But, it, no, that's racist. To but point also, out. even trying to classify as something other than just not speaking English correctly, I mean, it's just mad. I mean, there there are definitely plenty of regional accents in the UK where if a person picks that up and doesn't learn to speak properly in the regional accent, they'll sound ridiculous. They don't turn turn around and then go, you know what? Me being northern, it's a dialect in which I mess up all the words. It's like, no, you learn to speak English properly if you're going to talk to someone and have them understand you. I mean, this was the whole thing with the BBC back in the day. They came up with the BBC accent, the received pronunciation, just because we wanted a neutral accent that could broadcast to the entire country. Can everyone understand what you're saying? And uh, if we watch something like Clarkson's Farm, for instance, what was his name, Graham? Oh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, Gary, is it? Gary? No, not, not, Caleb. Not, not Caleb. No, the one who... Everyone understands Caleb. Yeah, everyone knows Caleb. and Jared? Jared, yeah. Nobody can understand what he's saying, and we're English. So, I mean, he's speaking in an English accent. It's certainly an English dialect. I can't for the bloody hell hey, tell what he's saying. Yeah, the hot fuzz accent, that's real. It's real, and you wouldn't have people talking on BBC in it because everybody would be going, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Please repeat yourself. And uh, this is not looking good, bros, because once again, everybody's just pointing out, I mean, look at this. Look at this. You're, you're a company who's just been sued for racial discrimination, incorrectly, as far as I'm concerned, and you've got these women staring across at you from the other side of the courtroom. You're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. And I decided to take a quick look. <laughs> but I have the best lawyers money can buy. Yeah, but their lawyers are multiracial and women. And women. Oh, no. We might as well just give them the money right now. <laughs> I looked into this company, as, uh, this, this litigation firm as well. They're called Crumilla, and... Um, this opening page, I will say, does not fill me with hope. I mean, that's... Finally, a law firm that gets it. Yeah, girl power. We're going to take down the patriarchy, girls. Bad formatting. Yes, it is. And they've got some things here. That, the way they talk about it is, as you would expect, very feminine. Emotions and stakes are high, and too often victims are forced to re-traumatise themselves by speaking to unempathetic, out-of-touch lawyers. So the lawyer shows up and goes, right, is the case legit? And they go, don't, don't make me re-traumatise myself. I will say, some of the work that these people do does seem to be legit. They take on sexual harassment cases, rape cases, things that do seem legit. But yep. at the same time, if they're putting those on the same level, on the same level of severity as a case where I got fired for being late to work over and over and over again, but I think that'd be racism though you're kind of diminishing the more legitimate cases that you're taking on at the same time. We can either win you $1 million or some kind of reparations for being sexually assaulted by a superior, or we can win you $11 million because a guy asked you to maybe help wingman him. 
Money is money. Yep, money is money. And they say they carry on. Sensitive issues require sensitive solutions. So we listen, we validate, we contextualize, we help find clarity. Then we dive headfirst into getting you the justice you deserve. And those, the listening, validate, contextualize, finding clarity. These are like the main points that they do for their approach that they do. And they also say in one of the pages that I went on to, we're committing to fi- committed to fighting for, here's the big part, here's the most important part, social change in the courts and in the streets. Learn what we're doing to make a positive difference in the community. So that's what it's all really yeah, about. The, the law isn't an altar in which you purify people who have done wrong and therefore purify society. It is something you use to change the world to your whims. Yes. Okay. And uh, I actually saw a brilliant little thread talking about this because uh, if in the next one, Helen Andrews, I don't, I'm not familiar with this person, so I can't vouch for her, but this thread that she did was actually very interesting. She said... She was glad that she read this book, Lady Justice by Dahlia Lithwick, because it offers a glimpse of what the legal profession will look like when it becomes majority female, which I think at this point is a demographic inevitability. And if you click on that right image so we can see a little bit of an excerpt from this book, let's see the highlighted segments. Yeah, I read this. <laughs> yep. The three women justices ignored the formal time limits, taking talking exuberantly over their flummoxed male colleagues. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg at one point essentially instructed the Chief Justice to add extra time to the clock for a female reproductive freedom advocate, and he complied. I described that day three, day uh, that day of three female justices and Justice Breyer going to town on cancel as a four-can tra- train of whooper, so keeping those nice legal professional standards in there, but we couldn't do that because that would be evil and white supremacy. Not the usual controlled analysis from the Stead Justices. But what was exceptional, and at least in retrospect heartbreaking that morning, was that it afforded America a glimpse of what genuine gender parity or near parity might have meant for future women in powerful legal institutions. So, you're screwed. If you have a legitimate case, these women are going to want to talk uh, about it in all sorts of ridiculous ways. If you have an illegitimate case, these women are going to make sure that it goes ahead anyway because they want to change the fabric of society with it. In the next one down, if you scroll down, She highlights a bit here where, uh, I didn't go to law school because I had a deep respect for the courts and the rule of law. There you go. Yeah, I don't use it to try and purify the wrongdoer and the innocent. I use it to destroy things. The American legal system was fundamentally a machine built to privilege propertied white men, but it's the only thing going and you work with what you have. Can't use the master's tools to destroy the master's house. If this is the way that most women going into the le- uh, into law are thinking about the law, congratulations, you will not have a legal society at all after enough time. If this is how all of them are going in and approaching it, or even the majority of them, this is not how you structure a well-ordered society. And uh, if you go down to the last part in this little thread, she posts this graph. So you can see from about the mid-2010s onwards is when females became the majority of people enrolling in law school and men are dropping and seemingly continuing to drop. So the more women go in, the more men drop out, the more you're going to get this kind of legal representation and no one's concerned about the male drop that's not a problem that's progress yep that's right yeah so uh that's that video i have some sad news folks trust is going down everyone is uh, less trusting of each other and people at the telegraph are stumped as to how how could something happened don't know what. Anyway, so I'll start off by promoting something on notices.com, being Hannah Pinkins, the concept of representation podcast we did, because, well, if you don't feel represented in literally any way whatsoever, happiness go down, trust go down. We 
we'll get into why. Because You're telling me the bad line go down and the good line go down? Amazing, isn't it? Oh, terrible. So if we go to the, the Telegraph article, this guy decided to write this. Trust is breaking down in Britain. It's a danger we can no longer ignore. Mr. Nick over here. Are you going to mention exactly why that might be? Well, I he's, bet he isn't. he's figured it out. Oh, okay, all right. Research shows only one in four people believe they live in a safe area. But why? While half say they feel unsafe walking home at night. But why? This is all in part down to trust in the law, with only a quarter saying they have confidence in the police, but it is also down to how we feel about one another. And what could have changed how we feel about one another and how the police administer the law? We can summarise some of the reasons. The collapse in the trust in the police has followed several high-profile scandals. Failure to uphold the law and evidence of bigotry and corruption. No, I don't think that's it. No, yeah, I don't... That's not it. <laughs> yeah, it's an endless racism in the police we keep hearing about. God, you know, when I feel... When I'm walking at home alone at night, when I'm trying to get home from work, yeah. what I think to myself, God, I hope a bigoted police officer... The cops might get me because I'm Irish. Uh, yeah, that, that's what it is. <laughs> I, you might have that trouble. It's because you're Danish. <laughs> Thank the, you. The long failure since the financial crash of Britain to return to healthy economic growth. Yeah, that's, that's the reason we're collapsing as a, a trust society. Sure it is. I mean, it's, yeah, like, bad uh, bad economic policy right now isn't helping. Hmm? Well, no, that might not be it. Might not be the, the main reason. And the resulting fallen living standards, higher taxes and struggling services, why are they struggling, makes people more guarded and less generous with what they have. Now, Japan has never recovered financially since 1995. But they're doing all right, though. For some reason... Something didn't happen in the 1990s for them. <laughs> something didn't happen. And because something didn't happen, they have unbelievable high levels of trust, even though their economy is as crap as it's been for about 25 years. I can't put my finger on it. No, a quarter century of basically no growth in the GDP, but yet high trust is because a, something is, didn't happen. Is there a graph? That might... No, I have a video instead. Oh, all right, okay. Because um, I, I remember seeing one about Japan where you could walk in in even big cities and there are cafes with no staff. You just make your own things and then leave the money. You know, it used to be like it's that. pretty high trust. I don't know the book it's from, but the, it used to be like that in England as well. Literally, the banks used to work in a, such a way in England that they would just display the gold that mm. they had on offer, not in a vault, just in the public, no protection of glass, no security guards. Oh, you need it. And people would just go in, take a look at the gold, pass the gold around, and put it back. Well, anyway, there's someone who's made a video representation of the United States versus uh, Norway in this regard, just to uh, demonstrate why trust might be going down in uh, the West. So we have a chap here in Norway who was showing you multiple stores in which there are no staff, not even security guards. Yep, you're just going, buy the stuff, leave it, no problems. And we have some other chaps here who are eating for free in Walmart. But, I mean... Don't you feel bad for that guy on the left? I don't know. I feel like I mean, the culture at, on the right is far superior. That's look, where I want to live. Look at how much he's not been enriched. He's um, miserable, I'm sure. He's terrible. We'll go back to Nick, though, because the author of that article is, is getting to me. He's born in Birmingham in the 1980s. Chief of staff for Theresa May. He was also there for the Birmingham Trojan horse scandal. Remember what that was? No, I don't remember what that one was. It turns out for decades, Islamists have been introducing Islamist ideas into the local schools. And these majority Muslim schools, because of course they're all ghettoized, were no longer teaching what the rest of the students were being taught in the country, but instead were just being taught Islamism. Sounds like Birmingham calling. to me. Yeah. So um, a local you group... You mean there site... was a time before Islamist Birmingham? Well, there was a group that held Trojan Horse or Trojan Hoax event 
in Birmingham, and he wrote to them to say, stop that, it makes you look like terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> and they went, look like? And it turned out the whole thing was true, obviously. There were teachers saying homosexuality deserves death. There were sex-segregated classes. The students were polled, and they had literally no knowledge of any other religion except Islam, which is not legal, for the obvious reason. And also, some schools made the students study outside whilst the Ofsted inspectors were there because they didn't want the Ofsted inspectors talking to the students, which is a beautiful sign of everything working. Yeah, I think um, Roger Scruton might have mentioned this in one of his books where he points out there was a teacher who called all of this out and got fired for it. My point being, powerful elitist over here who should know. I mean, if there's anyone who should know quite what might be destroying trust in Britain, he still isn't able to figure it out. I'm going to make a big hmm for him, and we'll just get the next graph up so people can uh, take a look at the graph. Still pains me. I don't know if you noticed. I couldn't be bothered to actually, like, accurately do the last point. I just used paint. There you go. Yeah, there you go. It's I'm just bored. a big line. The line goes up. Tom Harwood happy. Yeah. No idea, I guess, though. But um, I thought we'd just check in with some supporters of this line. People <laughs> who love this to line. to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it is going to the moon. And people who love it going to the moon, should we check in with them? Well, uh, Jess over here did some interviews with uh, a bunch of members of the public, and um, their conclusion was that mass immigration is a punishment. Oh, okay. That's all. It should hurt. Get used to it. And I'm supposed to trust somebody who goes out in public with an awful mullet and elf ears. And tells me I deserve to be punished because, I don't know, British Empire. I, I never actually read anything in history class. We know. We never improved living standards in any of the places we colonised. Very quickly, just going to check back in with some that map I've mentioned many times. The ethnicity map in the UK, which is a beautiful tool. You can see here the uh, map of Tower Hamlets, which for some reason you don't even need to see the borders of. You can just map where the Bangladeshis live. And the borders... I mean, it's it's weird. They, they kind of map themselves in the borders for some reason. Who knows why? But for some reason, that's that's all the Bangladeshis live within borders of Tower Hamlets. Naturally, I, it's, I think it's a big invisible barrier if you're Bangladesh. You just try and put it, and you just stuck forever. <laughs> Presumably, that's how you end up with so many people of the same ethnicity I mean, living in the same place. The, you can see it from you can geolocate it using satellite imagery because of the wall of Bangladeshis banging on the barrier. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually how the border is decided. Yeah. Man, the the uh, the wizards of Camelot have have done something terrible there. But we'll go to the next one because um that's just a, a place where trust is not high. Let me just check in with another random place in the UK I found. Get the next link, please. If can have it. There you are. Now, I'm sure this place in the north, salary. You want to know what the average salary around I, here is? I was there a few weeks ago. It was a very trustworthy looking place, to be perfectly honest. Average full-time salary, you want to guess? 23 grand. I was going to say, because this was in the Lake District in hmm. one of the, like... Honestly, the town it's in is not the most amazing town, although actually the part that you can access over the bridge is a lot nicer than the town it's attached to, but it didn't seem like a high-income area. My point being, 0% diversity. I mean, literally, it is 100%, as you can see here, white, English, Welsh, Scottish, Northern Irish, or British in the results there. And um, you've been there. You've given us your thoughts on the level of trust. It's really lovely. I've been to Tower Hamlets many a time. Nice little place. Uh, Oh, I would not trust. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're the wrong colour to trust. Yeah, maybe. So I thought we'd just check in with something I found. A relic. Folks, I come to you with something gold. The New York Times in 2007. Take a look at this. The Downside of Diversity by the New York Times. this by accident? This is real. This is in the archive. (laughs) (laughs) I have found a unicorn, folks. Oh, my God. 
somebody accidentally somebody wrote an article for American Renaissance and sent it to the wrong email address. It's going to read. This is in 2007. And you would have thought lessons might have been learned. Nothing has been, obviously. But here's how bad it is. It has become increasingly popular to speak of racial and ethnic diversity as a civic strength. From multicultural festivals to pronouncements from political leaders, the message is the same. Our differences make us stronger. Before diversity is our strength. Not quite got roundabout saying that in 2007. But. (laughs) It's a big but. But. The massive new study based on detailed interviews of nearly 30,000 people across America has concluded the opposite. The greater the diversity in a community, the fewer people vote and the less they volunteer, and the less they give to charity and work on community projects. In the most diverse communities, neighbourhoods trust one another about half as much as they do in the most homogeneous settings. So diversity actively breaks down trust in communities. Yes, and the effects of it have never been put more beautifully than what I am about to read from All right, this thing, okay. Because I feel it myself in my own life. As uh, people may have noticed, I've talked about it a lot. I um, used to live in an area when I was growing up that uh, even to this day is, is 90% of one group, 95%, so I'm a genius. And then I moved to university and then I moved around to um, Reading, which I lived on the Oxford Road. Incredibly diverse. Probably the one of the most diverse places in London. Not London, sorry. In the country. And then Swindon, and I moved to one area that's 60% Indian, amazingly. And uh, this place has been quite diverse as well. And I've never been able to put it down as to what this place makes you do, just as natural response. But this guy did. All right. The study, the largest ever on civic engagement in America, found that virtually all measurements of civic health are lower in more diverse settings. The study comes <laughs> at a time when the future of America's melting pot is the focus of intense political debate, from immigration to race-based admissions to schools, and it poses challenges to advocates on all sides of the issue. I still can't believe that was novel and like, oh, they're promoting the idea we should discriminate against white people. Now that's the norm now. But with the demographic trends already pushing the nation inextricably towards greater diversity, the real question may yet lie ahead. How to handle the unsettling social changes that Putnam's research predicts. That's amazing as well, just as a side note. There are all these problems, so should we stop and do something successful instead? No, let's just mitigate the problems. Yep. It's given us an inevitability. What we should do is we should brainwash the native population into thinking everything is fine. He says, we cannot ignore the findings. This is Ali Nurmani, executive director of Massachusetts Immigrant and Refugee Advocacy Coalition, a proponent of mass immigration. Quote, the big question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we do about it? What is the next step? Well, I would have been to, you know, admit that homogeneous societies have huge advantages and we should probably preserve those advantages. You know, the kind of buffs to the nation, you know, stat buffs. Well, th- this seems no. to me to be an article that's mainly addressed at, um, you know, it's, it's an article by managers for managers. Like you say, the managed decline. This is an article that the plebs weren't really supposed to pay much but attention it, it's to. It's not for visionaries. It's not for visionaries who are like, okay, well, there's the truth. There's the falsity. Let's move on to the truth. Instead, it is how do we manage the mess up we've caused? Managed yes. decline, as you and say. And part, part of what we're talking about here as well, when we say that this is um, 
this is brainwashing the public into just thinking it's okay. Part of that is changing the idea of the past. So when you hear phrases like the melting pot, somebody will try and tell you, oh, the melting pot was always part of the vision of America. No, it wasn't. Yep. America only opened its borders to more diverse immigration, shall we say, in 1965 with the nation, uh, Nationality and Immigration It's not Act. even diverse. If you have a look at a map of which country do immigrants to this state come <coughs> from, you'll notice there's a plethora right up until like, about the 2000s when it just all becomes Mexican for the next 20 years. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Anyway... The study is part of a fascinating new portrait of diversity emerging from recent scholarship. Diversity, it shows, makes us uncomfortable. But discomfort, it turns out, isn't always a bad thing. Oh, great. I love my life getting worse. Unease with differences helps explain why teams of engineers from different cultural backgrounds may ideally be suited to solve a specific vexing problem. I love that. It's always given you that they're just doctors and engineers on the dinghies. After releasing its initial results in 2001, Putnam says he spent time kicking the tyres really hard to be sure the study had it right. Putnam realised, for instance, that more diverse communities tended to be larger, have greater income ranges, higher crime rates, and more mobility among their residents, all factors that could depress social capital independent of any impact ethnic diversity may have. But even after statistically taking them all into account, the connection remained strong. Higher diversity meant lower social capital. Put Putnam writes that those in more diverse communities tended to, quote, distrust their neighbours regardless of colour of their skin, to withdraw even from close friends, to expect the worst from their community and its leaders, to volunteer less, give less to charity, and work on community projects less often, to register to vote less, to agitate for social reform more but have less faith that it can actually make a difference and to huddle unhappily in front of the television. God, I've never heard it been put better. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. People living in ethnically diverse settings appear to hunker down. That is, to pull in like a turtle, Putnam writes. 100% true. All right, I mean, that's from them. That's the feeling I've always had, especially in Reading. It makes you withdraw from society because you don't feel any connection to it. And on the weekend, I was at a friend's place, which is near Sanford, Gloucestershire, mm -hmm. uh, the mean place from Hot Fuzz, the heaven on earth that has a dark secret. And of course, in real life, the dark secret is the Thatcher's farm shop is there. Oh, really? It's wonderful. Oh, lovely. Anyway, but the place he is, is 0% um, diverse, and you could feel the difference on an unbelievable level. Oh, once again, where I'm from, that I went back to over the weekend, is pretty much 0% diverse, or at least the place I was living before this. And it's lovely. You can walk down the street, you can have chats with strangers in the middle of the street, and everything feels nice. I have a everything real tough time. Like, I think if we, we've talked about this. The one place in walking distance I can find English food is probably a couple of cafes which serve English breakfast, and that's it. Yes. I, mean, I don't know whether there's a fish and chips place around here. I don't know where I can get pub food. Let's do a good standard. The, the only fish and chips that I've been to in Swindon since I moved here was owned by a Turkish man and was not very good and didn't even serve gravy as a side, mm. so I was horrified. In documenting that hunkering down, Putnam challenged the two dominant schools of thought on ethnic and racial diversity, the contact theory and the conflict theory. Under contact theory, more time spent with those of other backgrounds leads to a greater understanding and harmony between groups. Now, someone, <laughs> someone put to me the other day that when you meet people who have travelled the world, you assume that they would have um, the enlightened ideas. The, the perspective that everyone's basically the same. The more people travel, the less they have that opinion. So that theory is just the BS more you anyway. come into contact with reality, the yep. more it makes an effect on you. Under uh, 
Yep. But under conflict theory, that proximity produces tensions and discord. Putnam's findings reject both of the theories. In more diverse communities, he says, there were neither great bonds for formed across group lines, nor heightened ethnic tensions, but a general civic malaise. And in perhaps the most surprising result of all, levels of trust were not only lower between groups in more diverse settings, but even among members of the same group. Again, I felt that myself. I've never been able to put it into words properly. This guy did in 2007. It's important to point this out as well, that this research is basically illegal now, because there was a recent statement from the Biden White House saying that if scientific journals conducted research that came out with, I, I forget the exact wording, basically non-pro-diverse conclusions from the research, you wouldn't get funding for it. If you were doing any sort of research that wasn't going to explicitly say, and this is why diversity is a good thing with the results, then you're not going to do it. And it's pretty much the same in the UK as well. These sorts of results were useful in the mid-2000s because the managers went, we've created this problem, how do we solve this problem? Now they've gone, we can't solve this problem, so we'll just make the research illegal. You could, you could have done the crossroads and didn't bother. So we'll end this off, we'll run out of complete time. But last thing here, just a quick frack from the UK, if we can go to the next link, please, which is from Matthew Goodwin. Quote, The claim that Brexit Britain is attracting the best and brightest is undermined by the fact that migrants are more likely than Brits to rely on social housing. This is free housing from the government, so my tax money. And then, then while uh, white British, sorry, while British families are being forced to leave London, forty percent of the rising number of sub-Saharan Africans who are living in London are now living in social housing in the capital. And the thing that amazes me about that is, I mean, it's so hard for someone outside of London to try and earn enough that they could even move to live there. Never mind then climb the social ladder that is the place. But if you're a sub-Saharan African who comes to the UK, there's a forty percent chance you just get it for free. You just get some some free housing the government stole off us. It is actual madness. Have you seen the dark buildings in Johannesburg in South Africa? You mean the ones with no lighting and stuff? Uh, yeah, where it's basically just an open-air toilet. Yeah. I imagine that a lot of buildings in London will end up like that after this is all done. Presumably, because... Um, well, I'll end it off there, because I, I, I don't know what to say. It's amazing that, that was in the New York Times at that time. And I'm amazed that that guy managed to put in words like a feeling I've had that I've never been able to explain properly. Let's go to the video comments. James Lindsay's takes have been pretty interesting lately. I sense a lot of frustration and maybe a bit of fear. In my opinion, he's afraid of Christians getting a large degree of political power. And I would agree Western Christians as a group aren't the most politically savvy actors. However, they do have access to metaphysical buttons that mobilize people in a way that facts and logic are incapable of. I also think that James might be losing the plot in terms of usefulness. It is one thing to study snakes forever, but if you want to actually warn against snakes, you don't have to understand it completely. Just know that you, you know, be able to communicate that you can't trust it. And right now the Wokesters have such a bad track record. If you want to know what a snake is, look at what a snake does. Um, on that, I don't want to come across as too harsh here, but I, I agree that Lindsay doesn't want conservative Christians to be able to make any sort of political difference. He wants to neutralize conservative Christians as a political faction because he just dislikes Christianity in the first place. If you actually look at old tweets that he's done, he said that back in 2015 before he became the hoax guy, he was big on the leftist atheists um, community. He was writing books in that. And I do just think that James Lindsay recently has come out and basically said, I know that I've got a big right-wing audience. He's doing what the old anti-SJWs did back when they decided they didn't want to be anti-SJW anymore, when they realized their entire audience was right-wing. And they go, hold up, 
I don't like right-wingers. I'm I've, not right-wing. I've moved to LA now. Yes, I've moved to LA now. He's doing the same thing. He's decided to try and burn the bridges with his right-wing audience. He's trying to scare them in, in, into inactivity. And I do think part of it is because of the fact, like you say, he has studied snakes for a long time. He's studied the left. He has written about their works. And if the right-wing actually does anything about it, then that's his source of income completely gone because if the left aren't in charge he can't write books about how the left are terrible and also even in his books he always explained how his biggest fear was not what the lefts, leftists were doing it's not about oh, i'm not that scared about trans and kids or anything it's about the potential of a right-wing backlash because god forbid countries decide to you know grow a spine support their own nationality and do something about it that's what he's always said i've got nothing to say because i just don't follow him that's fair good next one my review of Tears of the Kingdom has dropped, so go and check it out at cscooper.com.au slash rumble. You're going to love it. Oh, Seriously, right. it will convince you to go buy a Switch and get the game. But Breath of the Wild first. Breath of the Wild first. Seriously. It's so much better. I used to have a Frodo sword when I was younger. Little plastic one. Yeah, so did I. Here we go, blue. I had the same the one. Exact same one. I did think. it when you hit it? Did it also make the shing yeah. noise? Yeah, we had the same one. Also, if I do end up getting a switch, do I have to like take a photo with it? Where I'm... Yeah, well? I think that's something that's required. Is that what they do? Yeah. They, before they actually let you actually take it, they go, "All right, we're going to get the camera out before we give you the receipt." Uh, I guess I'll have to make a sacrifice then. On to the comments. So, Philip Schofield, um, Taffy Duck says, "Hands up, who thinks the inappropriate relationship is the tip of the iceberg?" Uh, allegedly no no you're allowed to have your honest opinion that's also exempt oh, that's, from libel law <laughs> yeah, John's pointing out I, if that's part of it if, if, if I uh, get a switch I also have to let somebody screw my wife <laughs> <laughs> while I sit in the corner watching crying <laughs> no actually just playing playing the switch <laughs> yeah um <laughs> so I'm just trying to make sure which ones I can actually say. I'm, I mean, so, I'm sorry, I just want to, like, letter M is for magnifying class, says, see you on the sofa, Harvey Weinstein, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the Unbreakable Lithany says, anyone found guilty of uh, aiding or abetting or associating with pedos can... No, I can't read that. Um, Someone... Joan of Arc says, as far as I'm concerned, if you cheat on your spouse, you deserve whatever uh, dragging you get. Yeah, I mean, I did... Uh, was That's the thing where I'm a bit like, hmm, I don't know, because like, he says he's bi, go with his wife, I have a feeling she probably didn't not benefit from that. If I'm you sorry, get my drift. Because she didn't seem too annoyed by the end of it. I have become a ball of fury for a moment when Alex Ogle has said, don't worry, Harry, despite your common age with Matthew McGreevy, it could never have been you. Even nonces won't groom you. I'm not ginger. I am not ginger. This is dirty blonde, okay? The sun is brightening it up ever so slightly, ever so slowly. When my hair was a lot longer, it was a lot clearer that it was very blonde, all right? Okay, I'm not ginger. Just want to clear that up here. If you think I'm ginger... Still wouldn't groom you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go to the uh, next list. Yeah, all right. Shaker Silver says, It is ironically these anti-discrimination laws being applied that creates discrimination through special treatment and unequal treatment in the law. It certainly doesn't help. I agree with you there. Much in the same way that the alleged comprehensive liberal has to violate and undermine the rights of individuals if they perceive there to be injustice due to the voluntary choices of these individuals. That's another thing. Um, I don't want to go on about James Lindsay, but that's another thing about James Lindsay is that 
it was only up until the progressive revolution had hit a point where he just decided, no, this is going anti-scientific against the uh, the laws and reasons of the Enlightenment that he decided that it was uh, that he was against it. All of a sudden, he is still a liberal in the sense that right up until that period, the violation of the rights of states to you know choose not to have abortion, the violation of the rights of the states to choose whether they're going to allow gay marriage or not. All of these things were things that he absolutely supported. He supported these violations of the state's rights until all of a sudden it went a little bit too far with him and then all of a sudden he aligns with the right and then when the right decides that the, actually we're, we are still right-wing, actually, he then turns around and goes, oh, right-wing is evil. You need to abandon fooled. the right-wing. Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous and I, I don't think people should really trust him personally but uh, Baron von Warhawk says a woman shows up at work at a uh, to work at a bourgeois company with the necklace depicting a machine used to kill bourgeois people and then wonders why she had a toxic relationship with her bourgeois bosses certified big brain woman moment yes the Wigan survivalist says memeology did a video in which a woman graduating from New York University I saw this I tweeted about it yesterday called American law white supremacy and oppressive she also described the New York police as fascist what is ironic is that she was Muslim peak idiocracy yes she doesn't know anything about her own religions or country's history I'm sure screw tape lasers it's no accident the jury was predominantly white the prosecutors look for white guilt during jury selection probably true Baron von Warhawk if you want to understand the two-tiered system in the west mizzy recently hijacked a train i think that was an older video but it is still ridiculous that he didn't get in trouble immediately after that happened if a white guy pulled this jesse james bs he would be thrown in prison already but i doubt the charges will stick when it comes to mizzy aka the teflon zuma michael magoy says law firms will become majority ai and not female laughs in skynet maybe and also from the same person, bodybuilders suffer from a form of body dysmorphia similar to anorexia and bulimia. Yes, and once again, I'm sympathetic when it comes to that. But if you're so terrible with that that you can't work in a workplace without immediately vomiting blood and the nearest sign of conflict or people just saying things you disagree with, you probably shouldn't be in the workplace at all. You should probably speak to somebody first. Mizzy for London Mayor. <laughs> Let's carry on with yours. So Kevin Fox says... Trust used to be widespread in the UK years ago. My grandma was proud of the fact she could leave her back door open for years. Mind you, it may explain why it took her so long to get <laughs> oh pregnant. <laughs> oh, I wasn't expecting to go there. Maybe she wasn't either. We dropped at the punchline. <laughs> anyway, someone online says, to be fair, not trusting others is the best way to stay safe regardless of location. That is 100% true. That's how I conduct myself. I still prefer to live in a society where I don't have to distrust everybody around me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the thing about the hunkering down that got me. It's it's just it's true, and it's sad. You 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 have it so visibly because you just you don't care about. Uh, I mean, it's it's like the the phrase I've spoken about before in Greek. There's trouble in the gypsy village. It literally just means who cares. Oh really? Because someone says to you, you know, oh man, oh man, my socks are a bit wet, and you just go, and there's trouble in the gypsy village. Come on. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's like. You, Whenever we hear stories about London now, I can't help, as I mentioned, look at that map and just realise a bunch of Africans and Indians are fighting. I don't care. I couldn't in, give a crap. In a city run by a Pakistani? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's just like, okay, fine. Just... Oh, but the halls of our power are there. Yeah, and they chose to do this. They're the ones who enacted the did policies you, that let this the, happen. the Hindus and the Muslims are killing each other in Leicester? I guess Leicester's not my city anymore. Anyway, out of time. More from us. There's a website. Uh, if you don't, go to a different website. Bye.